Um, it's uh, great to see you. My name's Steve. Uh, married to Tammy. Um, we help lead this thing uh, called Central Vineyard. And um, as you may have noticed, we're in the midst of decorating. Now, some people pay thousands for things to look like this. Um, we we are in. We, yeah, we have paid thousands, but. Um, <laughs> We are in the process of transforming this space and we promise we won't just leave the bare plasterboard on the walls. We will be painting and um, hopefully over the coming weeks you'll continue to see a transformation take place. And uh, so um, for this season, particularly as we've made this transition as a church family into this space... Um, we're beginning a, a journey, like a 40-day journey. Um, if you're on our mailing list, you should have received an e- emails this week at about 6am. I forgot to put my phone on Do Not Disturb the first day, um, and the email came through at 6am. But um, we're just on a journey that we're, uh, that we're referring to as the call. And uh, so at the start of this new academic year, at the start of us moving into this place, we just thought it'd be an opportunity to take some time to reflect as a whole church family. And uh, as we enter into this 40-day period, we're reminded of the significance of of 40s in the scriptures, aren't we? Um, That, you know, in the Old Testament, in the in the uh, first part of the, the Bible, uh, we see that um, Moses went up to Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights. And there he received the law, the Ten Commandments. And, uh, fast forward into the New Testament, we see Jesus, before he begins his ministry, he, he goes into the wilderness for a period of 40 days and 40 nights. Then Jesus, at his resurrection, he hangs out with his, his closest friends, his disciples, for a period of 40 days before he ascends into heaven. And and he spends that time instructing them about things of the kingdom. And so uh, 40, periods of 40 has significant um, meanings uh, in light of the scriptures. And so that's really what we're doing. We're just spending, and we're already six days in, seven days in, we're spending 40 days uh, reflecting together. And we're going to be looking um, in some different directions, okay? We're going to be looking in some different directions. We're going to be looking um, backward, inward, upward, outward, and forward. Do you see what I did there? Um, and, and this morning, we're going to be looking backward. Um, now, all of us have a past, don't we? We all have a past. Um, and our past often shapes the decisions we make in the future, or at least it should, okay? Uh, our future is impacted by our, our memories um, as much as we might want to forget some of them. Um, and so some, there's, there's some moments, isn't there, in our past, things that we, we may remember that kind of inform the decisions that we make in the future. And so we may recall moments uh, in our past we may be thinking of them right now and, and realising that those moments shaped our behaviour in the future. One university study it showed that when uh, we learn, our brain connects with 
connects new information with past experience. And so we develop new understanding, which in turn allows us to make better decisions. It allows us to um, move into our future in a new way. The person leading that study said, memories are not just reflecting on the past, they help us make the best decisions for the future. In other words, we need to remember stuff in order to shape what we become. And so our, our ability to remember the bad choices hopefully benefits us uh, and stops us from making future mistakes. And our ability to remember the good things that we've done hopefully help us to continue to shape a better future. The problem is, is when we make the same bad choices and expect different results. I don't know if you've ever met people like that. And sometimes we don't like to remember stuff, do we? Sometimes um, our decisions are full of regret. But actually, regret is also a powerful motivator. When I was 15, my parents made the choice to go on holiday without me. And so um, they left me in charge of the family home. It was the week before school was going to finish for the summer. I was in year 10 at the time. And um, I did what any self-respecting 15-year-old would do. I threw a party. <laughs> and, um, and this party, it started off um, just a few friends and a girl that I liked. Um, and it ended up with about 50 people in my parents' small mid-terraced three-bedroom house. And um, now I'm told it was a great party. You know, the stuff of legends. Um, If you go back to Daintry School, they will tell you all about this party. It's in a book somewhere. No, I don't know. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Um, But actually, it it might have been a good party, but for me, it was horrible. It was, it was horrible. These, there was people everywhere, every room of the house, uh, consuming all sorts of substances uh, and drinking all kinds of things. One guy, um, if you ever meet him, his name was James Strugnell, he decided to um, strip off and get onto this extension that we had on the back of our house and dive into the fish pond. Um, it was, um, yeah, it was... Uh, it was a slightly, slightly crazy night. It climaxed in the police arriving, and um, I had to clear all the beer bottles from the door in order to open it to them. Now, until my wedding day, my dad did, didn't have a clue that this party happened, and then my best man let the cat out of the bag. Um, but it didn't take me too long to regret that decision. Okay, and and I learned a really important lesson that day. I learned a lesson, and the lesson was: let someone else host a party. Um, um, But in all seriousness, we all have regrets, don't we? We all have made decisions that we regret making, and that has a powerful effect on 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 what we do. the stupid things that we do, the silly things that we say, the way we respond to things, they all have a powerful effect on how we 
determine the future. And so as we try and outwork this life that we have with Jesus, as we try and figure out what it means to disciple ourselves to him, we can sometimes forget or neglect the goodness of God in our lives. That the, the things that God has done in the past has power to shape our future behavior. And so, so often we find ourselves stuck in places of, of pain and discomfort and we forget God's goodness in the past. And we make wrong decisions, don't we? we? We end up making decisions that lead us into different kinds of rabbit trails. And some of us have made decisions about people, about relationships, about jobs, about finances. And as a result, we find ourselves in pain and despair because we've neglected to make those decisions in light of a God who has been good to us. So instead of relying on our past experiences of God and his faithfulness, we, we allow, and allowing that to shape our choices, we often lean on our own insecurities and let that kind of dictate the choices and decisions that we make. A pastor called Andy Stanley says this, God's faithfulness to us in the past should shape our assurance and perspective about the, about the future. And so I just want to illustrate this this morning by looking at a character in the scriptures, um, a guy you forgot. His name was Elijah. So if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn to 1 Kings 17. We're just going to... Um, kind of overview a couple of chapters, okay? We're not going to read a couple of chapters, but we're just going to jump about from chapter 17. Just to kind of give it some context, in, in 1 Kings 16, we read that Ahab has become king, and he was considered to be the most wicked king in Israel to this point. He was the eighth king of Israel. Uh, his rule was about 70 years after uh, king Solomon. And at this time, the kingdom of Israel has been, has been split into two. So there's the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. And Ahab is married to this woman called uh, Jezebel. And Jezebel was a foreign, a foreign woman, uh, which was against the, the Jewish law. He wasn't meant to marry someone outside uh, of, of, of his people. And, um, but he married her anyway. And um, he allowed Jezebel to establish the worship of a foreign god, uh, this foreign god Baal. And, um, and he allowed that to become the, the national religion of the people. In, in, in effect, she was the one who ruled Ahab's kingdom. And it, and it says in, in chapter 16 that he did more, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord than all the kings before. Now, one of the understandings is that when Israel had, didn't have a godly king, God would send a prophet uh, to be his mouthpiece. And so when Ahab turns against God, God sends Elijah. And he sends Elijah with a warning. And, and so Elijah um, announces to Ahab there's going to be no rain um, for several years. And he says this in verse 1, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve... There will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. 
and he gives this warning to the king and obviously the, the rain stops and, uh, and then the Lord says to Elijah, you need to go into hiding. You need to go uh, to Kerith Ravine. And the Lord says this to him in verse 4. He says, you will drink from the brook and I have instructed the ravens to supply you with food there. And so God tells him to go and hide and he says, don't worry about food or water. Don't worry about provision. Uh, there's going to be a brook there. And I've instructed uh, the ravens, as Robbie Dawkins said when he was with us, uh, to bring you some roadkill. Okay? Uh, and, and so God is going to provide for him. He's going to make provision for him. Now, I don't know how you feel about that. You know, um, if God has spoken to you about something and he says, I'm going to provide for you, no matter what. You get these clear instructions and this is how the provision is going to take place. I, I, I don't know if that might change the way we are obedient to God. Um, you know, that he, he kind of says, I'm going to instruct ravens to come and feed you. And I, I don't know what pictures you get. I have weird pictures when I think about that, like ravens dropping <laughs> bits of meat in his mouth. But, um, but if, God, if God was to say that to us, how would we respond? Would we be willing to be obedient to that point? Now it says, because there's a drought going on, it says this brook, it, 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 it dries up. And so Elijah uh, is told to go. Um, and he's told to go to Zarephath to find a widow um, and, and to go and stay with her. And so he meets this widow. And God, again, he supernaturally intervenes. This, this widow has no food to feed her and her child. And Elijah says, I'm coming to stay with you. And she's like, well, I can't provide for you. But the Lord does something amazing. And she continually puts her hand in and there's flour and there's oil. And she continually makes bread. It's also this time that this, this widow's son dies and Elijah prays for him to be brought back from the dead and he does. He comes back to the dead, from the dead. So things are going really well uh, for Elijah at this point. And, and, um, and, and all while this is happening, Ahab is searching uh, for Elijah. And, and so this happens over a three-year a three period. And, um, and then God speaks to Elijah and he says, I want you to go back. I want you to go back to Ahab. It's, it's now time. And at this time, Ahab is, is angry and he's desperate. And when, fi- when he finally meets Elijah, he says this in seven, verse 17 of chapter 18. He says this to Elijah. He says, is that you, you troubler of Israel? And so it's at this stage that Elijah, he challenges the king one more time. And he, and he, he challenges uh, the prophets of Baal. And, uh, and he, he, he basically sets up this context, uh, this, context this contest, um, to um, really prove that the Lord, the God, is the God of all. And, and, and some of you will be familiar with this story where he gets all the prophets of this foreign God and he says, go and build an altar and see if you can make it, it you know, call down he- uh, fire from heaven and, and it will be consumed and I'll do the same. And so these, these, all these prophets, like 450 of them, they try the hardest, they chant, they dance, they, they do all sorts of things and nothing happens. And then Elijah says to the servants, I want you to soak the altar in water four times and then do it again 
And, 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 and then he prays. He prays this. Um, oh, no, where am I? Yeah, he prays, he prays this in verse 36. Lord, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I've done all these things at your command. And at that moment, fire comes and consumes the altar. And then it says in verse 39, it says, When the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And then chapter chapter 18, it finishes like this. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with cloud and the wind rose. A heavy rainstorm come and Hayab rode off to Jezebel. The power of the Lord came to Elijah and took in his cloak in his belt. He ran ahead of Hayab all the way to Jezreel. And so let's just put this uh, in our minds, okay? Elijah, he hears God speak to him, tells him to, to say that the rain is going to stop. He, he goes on the run and the Lord commands the ravens to feed him. He makes provision for him. Uh, he, he then goes and he, he supernaturally helps food being provided for this widow and a son. He, he raises him from, from the dead. And, and, and all this time while he's been in hiding, God has fed and sustained him. And then he goes back to the king and says, the rain is going to come. And at the same time, he de- somehow God gives him the power to run faster than a chariot. <laughs> this thing, uh, that would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? <laughs> you know, if, if I'll take the running faster than the chariot, do it would give us a sense of confidence, wouldn't it? We would have a, a sense of, oh man, God has used me in a, in a powerful way. But then we pick up in uh, verse 1 of chapter 19. I told you we were just going to steam through. And so it says this. It says, um, verse 19 of, sorry, verse 1, chapter 19. Now Hayab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So she sent a message to Elijah and said, May the gods deal with me, but if ever, be it, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like the one, uh, one of them. In other words, she wants to kill him. And in verse 3 it says something interesting. It says, Elijah was, was afraid and he ran for his life. And it's in this moment we see Elijah make a drastic U-turn. His life is threatened by this woman and he flees. First to Beersheba, which is about 100 miles away, uh, about a two-week journey. And in in his his distress, he he eventually stops uh, and he starts to pray. And he prays that he might die. He says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And yet still the Lord meets him and meets his needs and provides him food. And then finally he journeys on um, and he goes, he, he, he goes further on and he finds shelter in a cave. And so Elijah goes from being God's superstar, you know, this guy who's like, 
can do anything God tells him to do, to fearing for his life, wishing he was dead. And God speaks to him. And I think these, these are the words that God might speak to us this morning. And it's in verse 9. It says, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And I'm guessing he's saying that as opposed to him being somewhere else. But he says, what are you doing here? Why are you hiding? Here's this guy. He's, he's called fire down from heaven. He's, he's stopped the rain. He's run faster than a chariot. And then this woman threatens to kill him. And he's suddenly quaking in his boots. Some of her husbands are thinking, yeah, I get that. <laughs> But suddenly Elijah and his future is no longer being shaped by God's faithfulness to him in the past. And so his assurance and his perspective about the future has become skewed. See, Elijah sees what's happening in the moment and he forgets. He forgets the faithfulness of God and suddenly he's filled with uncertainty. He finds himself afraid. And so he runs away. As he sees it, he's done. And there's nothing else he can do. There's no hope. There's, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. He's alone again and he's not sure how long for. This time, nothing is going to change. That's the mentality that he's operating in. How many of us, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of um, our circumstances, can lose perspective like that? You know, we lose perspective on everything God has said to us, everything God has used us to do. And we get caught up in that moment. And so those of you who have read on in this chapter know that God jogs his memory a little bit. And uh, he, he changes his perspective. God gives Elijah a gentle reminder of who he is and what he does. And then he asks Elijah one more time, you know, in light of who I am, in light of what I've done, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? You see, Elijah misses the moment. After all the great things he's experienced, after all the ways that God has used him, after all the examples of God's faithfulness that he can recall, he misses the moment. And so God tells him of his plans, that he's been working, God's been working behind the scenes. You know, sometimes, isn't there, the seasons in our journey with Jesus when things seem really quiet, and we're not sure God's at work. We're not sure what he's doing. But God says to Elijah, this is what I'm doing. You know, this is what I've been doing all along. Here's the king I want to anoint. Here's the next prophet who's going to replace you. They're in place. They're waiting. But the problem is, Elijah is a month's journey away from what God is doing. And I imagine Elijah's thinking... As God asked that question, what are you doing here? He's thinking, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? How did I end up in this place? You see, Elijah has two problems. 
there were some things he forgot. And there were some things he didn't know what God was doing. And because he forgot God's past faithfulness, he had a difficult time seeing God's future faithfulness. Because he didn't know what was going on, he assumed nothing was going on. Have any of us ever been in that place? (laughs) We don't see anything going on, so we assume nothing is going on. We feel like God is nowhere. Our our lives have been abandoned. We, We lose all hope for the future. As one person says, when we lose sight of God's past faithfulness, we don't factor him into the future either. And our fear can drive us to a place where we have no business going, relationally, financially, and emotionally. And see, it's as we remember him in our past, we will see him in our future. And so I just want us to take a moment, I guess, to be a little bit reflective this morning as we, um, as we finish up and go into ministry. And I just want to ask you a couple of questions. And uh, they're rhetorical, so you don't have to shout out. But do you know, maybe you can write these down, do you know why circumstances put you under the table emotionally and physically, relationally? Do you know why? Do you know why you anticipate the future with no thought of God's faithfulness in the past? And no thought of his his activity behind the scenes? Do you know why you do that? Another thought is... um, When the future is uncertain, do you remember? Do you remember the things that God has said? Do you remember the things that God has done? Do you remember how God has used you in the past? Do you remember how God has responded to that situation before? You know, when looking ahead makes you fearful, have you learned to look back? Have you learned to look back and and consider the good things that God has done? The other thing is, is, have you ever considered that you're not God and you don't know everything? Have you ever considered that the stuff that God does that you have no idea about. That he's always at work. Do you trust that? Do you trust that? And then when we place the uncertainty of the future in the context of his faithfulness in the past and his promises to care for our future... Does that give us rest? Do we learn to rest in those moments? 
when we're assured that however out of control things seem, God is in charge, God is faithful, God will always deliver me. Are we able to rest in those moments? Or are we ruled by anxiety? Are we ruled by fear? Are we ruled by worry? You know, worry is often thinking about things that we cannot control, isn't it? And do those things rule us? Or do we trust him? Maybe some of us this morning are in a place where we know we shouldn't be. Maybe that's, that place is relationally, where we've been in need and you find yourselves far, far from a place that is God's best for you. Maybe that place is financially. Maybe you've forgotten about God's past provision and you find yourself making some financial decisions based on, on the fear of what might happen in the future. A fear that I won't have enough. And so I'm going to make these financial decisions. God, I'm, not going, to, I'm going to ignore the faithful things that you've done for me in the past, but I'm going to make these decisions instead. Maybe it's in a place of our emotions where we've forgotten God's ability to get us through. And so we find ourselves in a place of pain, of, of feeling abandoned and forgotten. And you know, the Bible tells us, doesn't it, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, by changing our thinking. And one of the ways we change our thinking is by remembering how God has acted in the past, knowing that he will be faithful in the future. How's that going today? How's that going at just choosing to rely on him. Psalm 77, it says this, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I'll consider all your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God. And so in a moment, what I want to do as as a way of responding this morning is to invite some of you to just share moments of God's faithfulness. You know, that you could say God was faithful when this happened. And and what what I want that to do is, is I want it to encourage all of us, but I want it to encourage you. That you might be in a desperate financial situation. You might be in a relational problem right now. You might have all these emotions going on. And you've yet to trust God in the midst of them. And one place of starting in trusting him is remembering his faithfulness in the past. Remembering how he's acted in the past. Declaring his faithfulness in the past helps us to shape the future. And what about us as a church? You know, we're renovating this building and we don't have enough money to do it. What do we do about that? Well, we remember what he's done in the past. I don't know if you remember, back in October, we didn't have the money to buy this building. 
Nowhere near the money to buy this building. And God has been faithful. And so if he was faithful then, can he be faithful now? He can, can't he? And so we remember his faithfulness to us in the past, trusting his faithfulness in the future. And so as a as a moment of worship, because that's what it is, isn't it? Why don't some of us just come and declare God's faithfulness in the past? I was on the border between Thailand and Burma on the Thailand side. It was a Saturday evening and I was due to get a flight back to Bangkok the same evening. I was waiting in the airport and obviously there was a big crowd of people, almost all Thai speakers who didn't speak English. And the few Westerners there were there who were men on their own. And if you know anything about Thailand, you know what men on their own do in Thailand. They're there for sex, basically. And there I was, waiting for this flight, and an announcement came over. And the one lady I'd met who spoke English, a Thai lady, she came and told me that they were saying the flight had been cancelled and we were all travelling by minibus back to Bangkok. That was a seven-hour journey. And she was a Catholic nun in charge of a group of sisters. She said, we're all going by minibus. The minibuses seat nine people. And there are 17 people in our party. Would you like to travel on our minibus with us? Now, had that not happened, I would have been stuck with all these very dubious men. And they had, you know, videos pornographic videos available and what have you and I just knew God had provided 17 nuns to look after me (laughs) anyone else Um, five years ago um, I got my illness I've got MS and uh, when I was when I first went to hospital um, I actually I died for 20 minutes, I did, and the doctors had to bring me back to life. But God was so faithful throughout all of that, because I think if I didn't have God there, I think I would have just been dead. I would have, that would have been me there. And I was only 11 at the time. Like, I don't know, how old was I? Yeah, 11, so it must have been like six years ago or something like that now. But yeah, but yeah that's, that's when God was faithful for me, and I thank him every day for my life. Um, In 2013, I had a job that I loved and said, I can't ever imagine um, leaving this job. And we went to the leaders' conference and I felt that God said to me, you're going to have to leave your job um, and I'm going to provide something new and it's going to be something with the church, um, basically the the planting the seed for what Restore was going to be. and I thought, I don't know how I can do that. There's no money, there's no, it's too big a risk and everything. Um, and within four months, I 
was desperate to get out of my job. Um, things had turned around completely, um, and the people who still work in that environment say it's the most horrendous place to work. Um, and God provided the finances, and somebody approached us um, after sort of um, I took that step of, of faith of oh, okay, I need to do this. Um, the county council approached us and said. Um, here's £50,000 um, to set up your charity and, and pay a member of staff and to uh, get things sorted. So um, the rest is history. <laughs> or the future. <laughs> <laughs> um, in 2013, um, I had my eldest daughter, Thea. She was born... Um, well, she had to be delivered three months early because um, I was incredibly ill. My blood pressure was way higher than it should be um, and Thea was, um, had growth restriction, the, she wasn't, the circulation and the placenta wasn't working properly so she was basically, she was shutting down. Um, they kept me in hospital for two weeks to kind of get Thea to the point where she could potentially survive being delivered uh, but keep me going so that I wouldn't be damaged long term by my high blood pressure. Um, it was incredibly stressful for my family. I was kind of out of it a bit on all the medication they had me on. Um, but Darren tells me everyone was really freaked out. Um, and it, it, the doctors kept saying to me that I, if I wanted to, I could choose to have Thea delivered. Um, that I didn't have to stay in hospital, that I didn't have to go through this, that I could basically choose to have Thea delivered at a point that she would not survive and I could just go home and try again. Um, well, being trapped in hospital, it's very easy to say, actually, you know what, maybe that's viable. Maybe this wasn't supposed to happen. Maybe even though God told us to start a family while we were in a one-bedroom flat um, and only Darren had a job and I was unemployed because I had to go into hospital three months early, maybe it's not meant to be. Um, maybe this is just what we're supposed to go through. Um, but my real call out to God was, I just, I just need peace. Like, I can't fix anything. I can't change anything. I can't change what these people are saying to me. I can have all the loving support I have around me. But at one o'clock in the morning, when babies are screaming in the ward next to me and there's phones ringing, I'm thinking to myself, I want to be at home. You know, um, just give me peace that even if things don't go the way that we hope, it's going to be okay and that we'll get through it. Um, Thea is now three and a half and absolutely fine. Like, and I, I will be on blood pressure medication for the rest of my life. And that's okay. You know, that's all right. Because I came away with a beautiful baby girl. My journey was such a testimony to those around me. I had family members coming in and saying, yes, you've had her. Yes, that's great. Yes, you're both alive. But people don't feel comfortable giving you a baby gift or a card or something to say congratulations. Just in case. Just in case. And I said, no, she's here. She's fine. She's going to be okay. She is absolutely fine. And my father-in-law, who is a pastor, came and said, she's going to be fine. And we went, you know what? We know. Like, we, ju we just know she is going to be okay because God has got that baby. And she is our Thea. And Thea means gift from God. And she is. 
And we are so thankful that God proved himself to us time and time again, every moment, every day, every blood transfusion, every time her, her, she stopped breathing, all of those things, time and time again, he proved himself to us. And he provided for us. Our, my parents bought us a house so we could take our baby back somewhere clean and dry because our flat had a leak that the, the council wouldn't fix. You know, God provided for us time and time again in a place that we were just absolutely stuck and desperate and yeah I just sometimes things don't get better but God gives you peace to make it through um and that that is the in some ways that's an even better gift that you've walked through something and people have watched you walk through it and they've gone actually you know what you handled that how did you handle that? How did you go through that? And how are you okay? How has your marriage survived? How did you go on to have another kid like we did? How, are you st- how do you still love God the way you do when God let that happen to your baby? You know what, actually, I love God because he kept us going, because he was that perfect peace that we needed every moment of the day, and because he kept us strong, and he did keep our marriage together, and he surrounded us with people who knew to say, don't give up, Keep going, push through, because God is there and God's going to make it work for you guys. Amen. Amen. Uh, Hello. Um, Yeah, this week uh, we've just come back from holiday. uh, And what happened was that during the holiday the car broke down and we're in the middle of Barcelona and it was rush hour. And I've never done a left-hand drive before. I've never driven in that Europe or anything like that. Uh, but what's actually happened, it was rush hour. I was on the other side of the uh, lane, had to get to the other side. And somehow, the cars, it's just like they made way. And I was able to just get onto the hard shoulder, and uh, the, it just broke down there. Uh, that's, that's not the, <laughs> Then it gets better. And then what happened is um, I had to get a, um, a hire car. So we get the hire car. I had to take the hire car from... Barcelona, back to the campsite, then come back again um, to Figuera, just over the border, then go back to Perpignan, and then pick up a car, and then go through Calais. Now, you know what's been happening at Calais. We missed all that. We didn't even, we didn't even know anything about it until we got back to England when somebody told us. And then, um, uh, that's the, then when we go back to England, we haven't got a car, so we need to do school runs and all this kind of stuff. And then by the grace of God, someone was able to provide us with a car. We had no money, nothing. And they gave it to us for free. And uh, we've just got it now. And it's just been such a blessing. But it's just, um, yeah, it's God's just, I mean, you just, you do, you forget. And that's, you're right, you just forget about all the stuff that God's done. And all of a sudden, it just kickstarts everything that God's done throughout the years. And you remember all the stuff that he's done. And you can just sometimes live, as you said, in, in this kind of like, nothing's happening, God's left me, God's about, but he never does. And it's just, um, just it's like, I think, I think in the Old Testament, they used to put stones, when they crossed the River Jordan, they put stones as memories. And I think that's, it's really important to carry those memories and to remember exactly what God done. Because once you do, it just everything comes back. In. Of course, it's so stupid, how can I forget? But it's so easy to forget. Um, when um, you know you you consume with your worries and your problems and your realities and going on, but that's not the important. It's just this, you know, it's just God's just good. That's all I can say. He's just amazingly good. Yeah. Why don't we stand?
So Father, we, we choose to remember your faithfulness. That Lord, you've been faithful to the generations. That Lord, as we so often sing, you never let us down. You never let us down, Lord. And so Father, this this time, as we move into this new season, Lord, we pray we would recall the good deeds of you. That, Lord, where you've been faithful to us, Lord, where you've brought provision, Lord, where you've sustained us, where you've given us opportunities, where we've thought nothing can come of this, that, Father, we would spend some time uh, with you this week just remembering the good things that you've done. And so, Father, will you just come right now? Holy Spirit, we just say, come. And Lord, would you come and just minister to those of us who, who, who know there's been moments where we forgot. There's been moments where we've forgotten to, to just draw on the resource of your faithfulness. And that, Lord, you would impart something to us now lord you'd give us a gift of faith for the future that lord as we recall the things you've done lord just begin to bring things to mind right now bring things to mind and and as they those things come to mind just begin to just thank god for his faithfulness and say lord what you've done then will you come and do it again lord what you did in that situation lord i need you to act one more time And for some of us, we're like, the word from the Lord is, what are you doing there? What are you doing there? And some of us have turned to our own ability. Some of us have have turned to our own resources to try and get over some hurdles. And the Lord is saying, what are you doing there? What are you doing there? It's time to turn around. It might take a month to get back to the place where God is moving. But it's time to turn around. It's time to change our minds, to to change our thinking. And so we would love to minister to different folks this morning. Uh, if you're here and you'd like to receive prayer ministry, then you can you can receive prayer where you are. You can grab some folks around you. But there are some folks right now, the Holy Spirit is just resting upon. And so um, if, you're, um, if you're not engaged at the moment, why don't you just turn around and have a look uh, and, go and, and go and bless what the Lord's doing. Just bless what the Lord's doing. If you have some guys to pray over at the back, and if you have some ladies on the back row to pray for Jill. And we just say more of your presence, Lord. More of your faithfulness. Lord, maybe we be a people who are continually declaring your faithfulness, Lord. That we speak your faithfulness to our town. That we speak your faithfulness to our neighbourhoods and the communities that we represent, Lord. And we say the Lord is good. He's done good things. And he will do even more. And so, Lord, we look back and we thank you. We thank you for your faithfulness.
So if you're receiving ministry, just continue to, to receive what the Lord has for you right now. Um, but we're going to bring things to a close. Um, just be sensitive to those receiving prayer around you. Um, if you need prayer and no one's praying for you, just maybe you need to, just need to put your hand up and just indicate that you would like to receive prayer this morning. Um, but uh, if you need to go, I want to be able to dismiss you. And don't forget to sign your kids out of kids ministry. And um, we really look forward to seeing you all next time. So go blessed and have a great week.